this is Northern Latitudes. I'm Bilalt. Hi, I'm Dave Markell, and uh, I'm a photographer, skier, lover of the outdoors, and I live in Kamloops, BC. And Dave, you just came back from a pretty epic little adventure crossing the Continental Divide in the wintertime. Tell me That's a little right. bit about that. Yeah, so we did what's called the Boyoho Traverse. So it's a pretty popular ski traverse in the, in the Canadian Rockies. So you go in at uh, Bow Lake. And you ski kind of in a southwesterly direction. And in this case, we came out at Emerald Lake Lodge uh, five days later. So it's about what, a little less than 50 kilometers? Yeah, according to Gaia, my my track on there was about 42 kilometers. And that was kind of just the traverse portion of it. Uh, we did a few, like, just out skiing for the day, that kind of stuff as well. So, Right. What's the What was the skiing like? You know what? It was surprisingly good. Like we were looking at the weather forecast on the 31st and we we're thinking, oh, we're we're going into the thick of it. But, you know, we, we left on the first up to Bow Hut. Um, weather was good. And then uh, the next day was supposed to be kind of the, the crux day, I guess, with with wind, snow and and, uh, you know, limited visibility. And it turned out to be, you know, really beautiful, actually. So it was uh it was nice to see an area for once, you know, you, we have been through there a couple of times and, you know, it's just a bunch of skiers floating in a sea of white. So <laughs> <laughs> it's always good when the weather helps out, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what goes into preparing for a trip like this? I mean, how many people went and how long have you been planning it and that sort of thing? Uh, this time there was seven of us and, you know, we planned it last fall when the Alpine Club of Canada opened up bookings for the hut. So we, you know, we knew we wanted to do the traverse, so we just, you know, manned the phones on the opening day of booking and and got this this slot, basically, the first to the sixth. And that was really it for a while. You know, we, we, we had a few empty seats there that we filled up over, you know, a couple weeks afterwards. And then, uh, you know, it was just kind of quiet anticipation until, you know, probably about two weeks before we started to, you know, kind of solidify travel. Like there's, you know, we, we're all up in BC, so it was, you know, getting to Alberta and, you know, how we were going to deal with staging vehicles because, you know, you need obviously the vehicles at the exit and, and the entrance. And then really a lot of it was just preparing food. And, uh, you know, probably about a week beforehand, we started to talk about like some of the logistics of it, right? Like you're crossing glacier terrain, you're in avalanche terrain. So, you know, who, who's bringing what gear as far as ropes, ice screws, you know, any kind of safety gear and stuff like that. And really, you know, like it, it's, we were a pretty experienced group. So, you know, most of us knew kind of what was involved, like I've uh, done traverses in that area before. And, you know, two members of the group have actually done this traverse as well. So, Right. And the avalanche worry is quite high this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it, it has been actually. And, you know, we went to Avalanche Canada the day before and it was it was green across the board, which was which was really great. Like, you know, we, we never saw really any natural avalanche. There's a little bit of, you know, they call it pinwheeling when the sun heats up the rocks on the south slopes and, you know, you get the snowballs that roll down the hillside. But, you know, aside from the odd whoomp here and there, it was, you know, it was a really solid snowpack. So, you know, we were pretty happy. And, you know, obviously the, the further you get from safety and from, you know, the ski patrol, the, the more cautious you become as well. So, Right, and you're traversing across what at least four if not five glaciers on that yeah something like that like you know then and that's kind of the two biggest risks would have been of course avalanche risk and then 
falling into a crevasse, a right? Crevasse. Like you're you're on the Wapta ice field for part of it, and then you know you're traversing the Yoho Glacier, the De Palu Glacier. So there's there are natural hazards, and uh, you know we obviously had the rope gear and all that kind of stuff that we needed, and you know we found the snowpack to be quite deep. Though, like uh, Buddy was using his avalanche probe as we were crossing a number of the glaciers, and uh, yeah, like you know 230 up to like 300 centimeters of snow in, in many of the spots we we checked. So it was, it was really quite good. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know that was one of the worries because. You know the the weeks beforehand where you know you get trip reports that people post on avalanche canada and you know some of these trip reports was anything from bare ice up on the ice field to you know two meters of snow so luckily you know we got some weather and some snow and some precipitation in the weeks before and uh yeah definitely paid off and, and made for a good trip so how i don't know how you're going to answer this question but i'm going to ask it anyways how how physically challenging is that? Like, I mean, obviously you guys are all skiers, you're all prepared for it, but even so, is there, is there a physical component to it that by the time you're done, you're tired? Definitely. And, you know, admittedly, it, it's been a pretty slow year out here in, in the interior of BC for skiing, you know, typically, you know, several dozen, three, four dozen days in the backcountry, And this year just didn't happen. You know, we had a pretty slow start to the snow in, in the Coquihalla and, and up north kind of into Wells Gray Park where typically we go backcountry skiing. And, you know, so within the month before, I just, you know, around Kamloops here, did quite a bit of just day hikes with a big pack on my back to try to get into shape. But, you know, there certainly is that that element, you know, and with the, the route we had, you know, it was the biggest obstacle was simply the heavy backpack, right? Like you have all your gear in there as far as, you know, avalanche gear, safety gear, food, of course, clothing, sleeping bag. And, you know, for me, at least that was the biggest challenge. I kind of misread my food and, you know, went shopping when I was hungry. And, <laughs> you know, so my, my pack was pretty heavy for the first couple of days. And, you know, obviously you just eat the heavy food first and it gets lighter as you go. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's like weighing food. What do you mean you're weighing your food? Well, this is heavier. I mean, at first. Yeah, it was a little embarrassing. I pulled my food bag out of my pack. I'm like, Ooh, I better get eating. <laughs> it's always a risk, though, right? When you're preparing for something like this, you, you, because food is so basic to what you need out there, right? You need the calories, if nothing else. So you're always packing in the food then you're going oh you get out of the you know you're hiking whether you're hiking a mountain or doing what you're doing with a ski traverse you know at the end of the first day you're going jesus there's a lot of food in this bag <laughs> yeah that was exactly it right like I, I did really well on my breakfast you know just oatmeal and uh my dinners i did pretty good you know some dehydrated meals but you know what really got me was you know the snacks you know i had, I had some candies and i had the, the dried nuts and the dried fruit and i'm kind of holding this stuff up thinking oh geez you know, this is more than I'm going to eat. <laughs> so, so much for fast and light, I guess. So what all goes into a bag when you're, I mean, you've got your food, you've got your avalanche gear, mm -hmm. you've got enough clothing for three to five days, whatever, five to six days, right? Five, six yeah. Days. Yeah. And we actually, we exited a day early just due to weather conditions. We, we took a nice window and exited early, but you know, with the Alpine club, so we rent these huts from the Alpine club of Canada and they provide you know, they provide the stoves with, with fuel to cook with, they, you know, all the cookware, cutlery, all that kind of stuff. And then they provide sleeping pads. So, you know, it takes quite a bit of weight out of your pack in that way. So, you know, for me, I had my summer mummy bag, which is, you know, three seasons, which packs down quite light. 
a basic change of clothes, you know, and some changes of socks, you know, average stuff like toiletries. Um, of course, I had my camera and some extra lenses, a tripod. And and then, yeah, you get into the safety gear. So, you know, a bunch of carabiners, some pulleys, some ice screws, you know, prussics and slings. And, you know, we kind of shared carrying the ropes across as well, right? Just switched them out between different people throughout the trip. So, you know, for the most part, yeah, like my pack probably started close to 40 pounds and, you know, it was light down maybe 32 pounds or so by the time we were we were wrapping up. So you got, got rid of all that candy. I just ate and ate and ate, you know, and that's, and that's one of the things about the huts, right? Like, you know, you spend a, a you know, if you spend two nights at one hut, it gives you the day to go out skiing and, and often you'll come back mid-afternoon and you just start eating, right? <laughs> and then you have dinner and then you eat some more and, you know, so it's. Talk to me a little bit about the hut system, because for us people out here in the eastern half of the country, we don't ex get exposed to it. So tell me a little bit about the hut system in the mountains, in the Rockies. Well, the Alpine Club of Canada has, I don't know how many, I think it's two dozen, two and a half dozen huts kind of spread through the Rockies and interior BC. And and really, they're, they're a really fantastic system, to be honest. Like, you know, you can go to one hut, just hike in, ski in. You know, it's a reservation system, obviously. And, you know, if you're a member, it's $30 a night, which is fantastic, right? You just, you show up at the hut, you know, and they're all communal style huts. So it's bunk sleeping and, you know, you bring earplugs along and just learn to learn to get close to other people. So, and, uh, you know, for us, we, we spent the first night at Bow Hut, which is, uh, it's probably one of their flagship huts in the Rockies. Lots of climbers, lots of backcountry skiers there. And it's, reasonably easy access you know it was three hours from the highway to ski into it and then the following day we of course went up over the wapped ice field to uh guy richie hut which is one of the newer huts uh located uh just on the shoulder of yoho peak and uh, this one was pretty nice it's got uh wind and solar for heat and lights nice dry room you know nice setup for your kitchen and all that and then of course really great sleeping accommodations as well so you know, and as far as water and stuff, like this time of year, it's all snow melt. So, yeah. you know, you got big like commercial style pots that you just always boiling water and, and well, melting water at this point, you know, and then whatever, cooking, drinking water, everything is just all snow melt. And then outhouse style, you know, yeah. for washrooms. Yeah, I've stayed at the new one there, the the Gay Ritchie. I stayed, but I was summertime. I'm a, oh, okay. I'm a summer guy, not a... You know what? And, and that was one of the comments was, yeah, like, let's go back here in the summertime. Well, let's go back here in the winter and just spend like four days here because there's a lot of great lines to see. But, you know, summer as well because you're you're way up at the top end of the, the Yoho Valley and it's, you know, it's really stunning up there. Some nice glaciers. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're talking about hauling your lenses along and your photography along. Let's talk about that for a bit. How long have you been doing the photography? I dove into it seriously about 2014 and uh, you know, my, that long, yeah, my ex-wife at the time, you know, she's a photographer as well, really good at it. And, you know, I really just started shooting weddings with her as a second shooter and, you know, cause I'm not really a peopley person, you know, once all the, the celebration and the cake was cut, I'd, I'd take the camera and I'd run outside and just start <laughs> experimenting on, on night photography. Right. And it, it kind of spun from there and, you know, got into landscapes and, you know, of course, because I'm hiking and outside quite a lot, you know, it, there's, you know, the adventure photos, getting shots of your friends, shots of wildlife, you know, kind of anything nature based. I was, I was pointing the camera at it and, 
you know, I guess my hope on this trip was, uh, you know, we've had a lot of Northern lights lately and I was hoping for some clear skies and, you know, maybe get some, some hot shots with the Aurora in the background, but it just, uh, didn't pan out for me. So. And it never happens when you just try and schedule it. <laughs> no, of course not. Right? I put the request in, but nobody listens. So. Nobody listens. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause, um, I do a little photography myself and, it was my daughter is in Bonneville, Alberta, and we had those northern lights a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I'm in eastern Ontario, of course, we got almost nothing. And she's she's taking shots with her phone, of course, of these these wonderful, just amazing northern lights. And I'm thinking, yeah, it doesn't matter where I go or when I go. It's like <laughs> it just never happens. I, I think I've had shots of the northern lights once in my life, and I was driving home in the middle of the night, just coming home after a late night at work, and all of a sudden there they were. Yeah, like, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> oh, they're wonderful. And, you know, of course, you know, if I could get the hut nicely lit up with the northern lights in the background, that's kind of the, the grail shot. <laughs> the, the, the grail shot. Yeah, yeah. So, what, so what's it what's it like shooting on a trip like this? I mean, you're skiing, obviously, and you're trying yeah. to take shots, but. You know, what's I, I need to go out with a group of photographers because, you know, the people I'm skiing with, are they're there to ski. They're, they're you know, they, they appreciate the profile pics, but, you know, it's a lot of, I guess, shots of opportunity, right? Like, yeah. you know, I'll be skiing along and I'll just stop. Well, <laughs> cool, right? I'm going to get a photo of you. And, uh, you know, it works out pretty good. Like, you know, I've, I've kind of narrowed down most of the shots that I, you know, I'm really going to edit and I'll probably print some and, and whatnot, but you know, it's, I'm, I'm learning to, you know, I'm just learning to kind of catch the shots as they arise. Right. Like you see a composition and, you know, lots of times I'll just kind of ski to the side off the regular track and uh, you know, line the guys up or, and, and get the shot. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, for this one, I was obviously, I was using my phone I've got a little mirrorless Sony that I was using and then, and then my GoPro as well. What do you think of the mirrorless? Oh, I love it. The weight. Like I have a, I have a Nikon DSLR and I resolved it's not coming backpacking on these trips anymore. So like I've got a little Sony uh, A6000, which is, you know, a great little camera. And, you know, it's not one of these ones, like if it, if it gets destroyed, it's not the end of the world. And then I, uh, I actually just picked up a, a nice zoom lens. So I've got a, what is it? An 18 to 300 Tamron lens for it, which you know, for the mountains is, is fantastic because you yeah. can just, you know, compress that distance behind the, the skiers and, uh, you know, really just make the mountains, you know, pop and stuff. So what got you into all of this originally? Like, I mean, this is, you know, you're starting with your photography, but even with the, have you always been the outdoors guy? Like, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Like I grew up in a little town, golden BC. So golden golden, yeah love golden love golden so yeah you know and i I didn't live in golden i lived outside of golden right against the mountains north of town so you know my dad got me into skiing when oh geez i was probably five years old we used to go to lake louise and you know and then of course the local hill opened and uh it just kind of went went from there right we uh you know me and my buddies would ski and ski and ski and then when all the powder is gone we go out of bounds and ski and ski and ski and and you know i guess kind of you know, into my early twenties, you know, me and some friends actually started a backcountry commercial ski resort there, uh, Chatter Creek. Oh yeah. Yeah. Back in the day. And, uh, yeah, not, not involved with it anymore, but you know, the mountains and, and skiing it's, you know, from a very, very early age, it's, it's been a part of me. So. So when you started blending photography into it, then it's a, 
it's a natural extension. I mean, it's, it's hard not to take pictures out there, right? Like, I mean, it, it is, you know, and everybody's got a phone nowadays. So, you know, everybody's snapping photos and, you know, I'm the same way with my phone as well. Right. Because it's, it's just so easy to get a good shot, mm -hmm. but you know, when you, when you're doing these trips, you know, I guess I could have got away with the phone for the whole time, but you know, having, having the mirrorless camera with, you know, a better sensor and stuff and the zoom lens and, and all that. And then, it just you know you just end up with a, a better quality photo than than you do with the phones so yeah i too carry a nikon d7500 around all the time and then mm. I take 10 times as many pictures with my phone and i kind of go like this all the time like mm. that's right that's right <laughs> and i found the best thing i got a little uh capture clip just goes onto your strap on your pack yes and you, yeah and you just click your camera <laughs> because you know, if you got to stop and take your pack off, you're not going to do it, especially with a 40 pound pack, because, you know, the crux of the day is getting the pack from the ground up onto your back. So, you know, it's, uh, having it handy there. And of course the weather was good. So, you know, yeah, to, uh, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of issue with it getting, getting wet or getting stormed or, or whatever, but. What was the best part of the trip? Is it just the trip? <laughs> yeah, it's just a trip, but I think like I've done other trips in the area, like we've done the WAP to Traverse, which, you know, you kind of do a more north, north to south. And, and I hadn't seen certain sections of, of where we were. So I think the best part of the trip probably would have been, you know, the section be, you know, around the guy Richie hut there, you know, when you're, you're looking into that, that area, just, you know, I hadn't seen it before. You know, you're sitting in the hut and you're looking south towards, you know, the president, the vice president, isolated peak. And you're just, you know, you just, you, you, you got to pinch yourself because you're like, wow, I can't, you know, I can't believe this is, you know, this is my life right now. And it's, it's just amazing. Right. But I think mostly it's, it's just sharing it with like-minded people too. Right. You know, we had a pretty solid group. Like my brother, my brother and I do a lot of these trips together. So, you know, it was him and then another fellow there, Lucas, who, who suffered a lot in the mountains together and, you know, and then just some friends of friends and, you know, you meet new people and you just discover you're, you know, you're all there for the same reason. You know, it's, it's, it's just a, a love of the outdoors and that's, you know, for that's always the highlight. Like it can be, you know, just horrible weather. You could just, you know, nature's trying to kill you, but you're always kind of laughing and smiling because you know you're there with your buddies and everybody you know you look at each other and you're all like well you know yeah we're all suffering together this is amazing <laughs> suffer suffering is always better done as a group it is it's a group activity <laughs> <laughs> and what and photography on top of all that what does photography bring for you for the like what what do you get out of it as a person you're obviously passionate about it yeah you know and lately you know especially with covid it was you know, being able to just scroll through my computer and, and Google photos is really good for that, where it'll just, it'll just pop up a memory. And then suddenly I'm back on that trip, right? Like you're, you're you go down the little rabbit hole, you're looking at these photos, you know, and, and remembering the good times, remembering the, the not so good times. And, you know, of course you can see behind me, I've got a number of photos up on the wall as well. And that's, you know, just reminds you of, of how good life can be, you know, and, and when somebody else is able to, to, you know, have a look at the photos and just, you know, something they don't get to do or it's so far out of their, their reality, you know, and have that emotional connection when they see an image like that. It's, you know, it makes me feel good, but I think mostly it's, it's, it's for my personal satisfaction of, you know, reliving these memories of, of trips and time with friends. Yeah. And it brings a lot for other people. You just kind of mentioned that there. And I, when I do my trips, it's always about 
posting the images, obviously, but yeah. it's for people that will never make that trip. Um, I do the, the hella hiking thing in the summer quite right. often. And this, most people will never be able to do that. And you mentioned the COVID and it was funny because of course the year of COVID, the 2020, we weren't allowed to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, so I ended up doing a, what I call a virtual trip. Right. <laughs> and I just posted a bunch of pictures from previous trips for people. And it was, people were really excited about it. I think it's, it's such a tool to bring people together sometimes that, you know, just being outdoors, but the photography on top of it all, because a lot of people will never do this sort of thing. I will never ski traverse the continental divide. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and, you know, just in some of the, the chats that I'm in on Twitter and, and discord, you know, it, and for me, it's, it's not like this is, it's, 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 it's extreme in one, I guess, way, but you know, it's, it's something I've done a number of times, but for other people, it's, it's just so far out of what they know. Yeah. No, right? that's, like, that's like, the thing. It, it, it is extreme for yeah. other people, for you, no, it's, for you, it's become, you know, here's your line for extreme. Well, for some people's line for extreme is down on the floor somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So for they're living it through you and that's, that's, that's the amazing part of it. And it's like, if I, you know, describe, describe, a ha- describe one hour of what you did while you were on that trip for me, like just, like what does it feel like well you know once we crossed like the wapta ice field so you kind of get to the height of land and you you know you you drop down into the you know one of the branches of the yoho valley you know we were expecting just terrible weather no visibility and the sun was out it was about minus three minus four and it was hot like we were taking layers off you know and you're skiing along and you're looking over at the shoulder of mount collie and you're just seeing these, you know, crevasses ahead of you. And, you know, you know, you're kind of, everybody's quietly picking a route through and, you know, finally somebody, okay, well, let's, you know, let's go this way. And then they start punching a trail through and then you're, you know, you're skiing along this and you're, you know, you're looking around and you see these shadows, you know, that's kind of, you know, there's a hole there, but it's got three meters of snow bridging it. And you're just navigating through an area that's, you know, potentially very dangerous, but because you're doing it with, you know, some knowledge, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you've thought it through, you know, you can navigate it quite safely. And, you know, I just remember, remember thinking, wow, this is amazing. And then, you know, as we got through the worst part of it, the weather came in, a squall came in, visibility went down to next to nothing. And, you know, by then we had cleared it and we were skiing above and yeah, it was just, you know, how the weather cooperated with us. And we all, you know, it was a real gift. We all got to see what we were there to see. And, uh, you know, everybody navigated safely through. And it was, yeah, it was amazing. You know. If you could do any trip in the world, what would you do? Any trip, any trip that brings all those things together for you? Like, obviously, you're a skier, you're a photographer. What would you do? Oh, that's a big one. I you know, know it's hard. There's, there's a number, you know, and, 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 I've always said, you know, like I live, I live in one of the better places in the world. So there's a number of traverses that I do locally as well. One of them is the Bugaboo to Rogers Traverse where you start at Bugaboo Provincial yeah. Park. You know, it's about 110 kilometers and you ski out to Rogers Pass, you know. But I guess looking a little further, you know, I've had my eye on Baffin Island. And oh, there's really? one national park there where you can transect yeah. Baffin Island, you know, Mount Thor and all those big peaks. And it's you know, I think what's extreme about that one is just the location, right? You're, location, you're far yeah. north. It's difficult to get to, you know, the potential for very bad weather, polar bears from what I understand. But, 
you know, it, it might not be a winter trip for me, but, you know, certainly do a summer hike through that area and just be able to explore and, and check out something a little different. I also kind of, I'm not much of a paddler, but I do enjoy, you know, some of the canoeing and stuff, but doing, doing some of the Northern rivers, you know, like the Coppermine river, the Nahani river, and just going with a guided group just to, I guess some have somebody deal with the logistics and the tough part while I just yeah. kind of paddle and take photos and, and enjoy, you know, something that's a little different to what I'm used to. Baffin looks amazing. I've yeah. looked at, I've looked at it a few times and I have this, you know, kind of a, the big list of the national parks and I've tried to, you know, I'm trying to knock off as many of them as I possibly can. And there's a few that you look at and you go, no, I, I've, I've left it too late in life as it were. Yeah. But um, Baffin was one of those ones you look at and go, Oh geez, you know, I could, I could just go there in the summertime and hike. That would be <laughs> pretty awesome. It, it would be fantastic. And, you know, I've watched a, a YouTube video of a guy crossing and you know how parks Canada has got the red Adirondack chairs. Yeah. They're, yep. they're up on that route as well. So, you know, I think, I think it would be to kick back and, you know, have lunch and sit in Adirondack here and look at those mountains and just Island, marvel and yeah. where you're at. Yeah, there was, um, there's a really good film, uh, and I forget the name of it, it escapes me, but some climbers, oh, yeah. some climbers that went up there, and it's just amazing, just yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's like, wow. You know, yeah, that's that's a good one to have on the bucket list. You know, and we're yeah. and we're so blessed, right? I mean, we don't like you. Well, you're in you, the part of your country you're in is amazing, but I think we have a as a country in general, we've got so many good things that you know if we just need to encourage people to get out there. You know, whatever whatever your whatever your line of uh, <laughs> extremism is, it's like yeah. pick a spot and go, man. Yeah, and absolutely, you know, and that's the thing is, it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be extreme. It could be you know, a simple day hike in a provincial park, national park, municipal park, you know, just getting outside like the, you know, the therapeutic power of nature is real. Like it really is, you know, and, you know, work stresses me out. I'll put my shoes on and, and just hit the trails after work, even just get out of the house. And, you know, you, you, you really exist in the now when you're out in nature. Yeah, that's a, that's a topic we talk about a lot on this podcast is nature is wellness and nature is nurture. And it, it really is, right? It's like, yeah. you know, I, I spent the weekend just this past weekend up at the lake and it's just the stress just rolls off you. <laughs> just yeah. It just disappears, yeah. you know, and I'm not even in the good season yet where I can get in the kayak and go around the lake and stuff where that just, you know, it just peels away all those layers of the daily I was in the Bugaboos last summer, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, my brother yes. was up there. I believe it was last summer. Him and his wife were up there as yeah. well. So, yes. you know, and I, I'm kind of envious of you folks out in Ontario with your your canoe networks and, you know, just <laughs> such an established route for canoeing where you just, you know, you can go out for the, you know, a long weekend and just do, you know, lake to lake to lake and everything's, you know, very well used. We're, we're around it's here. It's not so much <laughs> well it's it's funny though right you bring that up and it's funny because you know i'm envious of your mountains you're envious of my canoe routes and it's like you know we have this country that's just so blessed and it's like yeah. come on guys it's like it's amazing and it's just incredible like I, and i drive all the time like i drive out west every summer and it's like, oh yeah so i see it all all the way across and it's just amazing what's the favorite thing you've ever taken a picture of Oh, geez. Well, I've gotten some good Aurora photos, so I do have a nice one of Steve. Yeah. I'm sure most people have heard of Steve by now, yeah. but it's that, yeah. that neat little arc that appears south of the Auroras. That is an amazing photo. 
you know, I've, I've, I've looked at an amazing VS. I, <laughs> I, my little black wolf right there. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it was about four years ago, just right outside Kamloops here. And I was out just walking into an area with my camera and had a white tailed deer just kind of come bounding towards me and startled me. And it saw me and deeped off to the side. And that black wolf was, was in pursuit for lunch. And, you know, I was about a 90 second encounter and I got a, a nice, amazing shot. And, Side of it since it's vanished. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's up next? Oh, geez. Well, there was a little bit of talk about going back to the Rockies in May. So you get up on the Columbia ice fields. That's typically climbing season up there. So the idea would be get up there and, and you know, the grand, the grand goal would be Mount Columbia. But, you know, just kind of traverse around on the ice field and, and maybe pick up a few of the 11,000 foot peaks like Snow Dome or Mount Kitchener or Mount Andromeda. Um, just kind of seeing how the group feels about it. It was we had a couple members back out of this trip and uh, and uh, they kind of threw that out there. So everybody's kind of tentatively thinking about it. But, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not ready to hang my skis up yet. So like last year, my brother and I skied into June up in Well and Great Park. Right? So, yeah, yeah, it, was, it wasn't fun, but it skiing <laughs> <laughs> right. getting eaten by mosquitoes when you're on skis just yeah that's a little right. off yeah that's a little off <laughs> what wax do you use the insect repellent wax that's right yeah it's my, <laughs> made by deep <laughs> all right dave thanks for doing this really oh good. you're welcome glad to glad to be on here and tell the, tell the tale so. no that's that's a good that's a nice little adventure yeah no, i'm looking forward to doing some more here and we're we're talking about the doing the Wapa Traverse again next year. There's a couple in the group who hasn't have been on it, so you know, go into Pado Lake and, and north to south about 70 kilometers, and we come out at Sherbrooke Lake, just above Field between Field and Lake Cadiz. Yeah. So, nice. yeah. All right, thanks again, Dave. You're welcome. You can find Dave's work at DaveMarkell.com. That's D-A-V-E-M-A-R-K-E-L.com. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Alina Simpson of Media Made Manageable and my producer Sarah Simpson for their help. Northern Latitude's theme song and sound logo created by John Sanfilippo of Soundwise in Kingston, Ontario. Closing music is My Own Heaven by Adrian Walther. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Check out the podcast page at northernlatitudes.ca for all the episodes. I'm Bill Alt. Find your way to Northern Latitudes.